This is Understanding Amos, a uh, series on the book of Amos and part of a larger project to make the Old Testament more accessible. And uh, hopefully this can be a help for you as you're thinking about the Bible and thinking about the way that the Bible connects to itself, the way that the Old Testament affects our reading of the New Testament, and really just for anyone who wants to learn about the Old Testament but just finds it difficult to read and confusing, hopefully this series can help shed some light on the riches of the Old Testament. Uh, All of God's Word is inspired, and that means it's profitable for us. And there's something in this minor prophet, uh, this book, uh, that has relevance for us today. And that's what we want to look at. So we've been going through the book of Amos in little chunks, and this week we're going to look at Amos chapters 7 and 8. And if you remember, the big theme of the book of Amos, the big message, is to the nation of Israel, which is now split into two parts. The north is referred to as Israel or Samaria, and the south is referred to as Judah. And Amos is a prophet, and he's basically focused on the northern kingdom, but it has relevance for the southern kingdom as well. And the message is this, repent before it's too late. Repent, meaning change your mind, turn from your sin back to God. Right? Or else God is going to judge. He's going to bring historical judgments. He's going to bring disaster. He's going to bring armies invading. He's going to bring exile ultimately to the land. He's going to kick you out of the land unless you get your act together. And we also see God's promises, though, that God will nevertheless be merciful and he won't destroy completely uh, Israel. He won't wipe them off the face of the earth, but leave a remnant. And he sends the prophets as people warning Israel, saying, listen, remember the covenant. The covenant is the legal bond between God and his people, Israel. Remember the terms. You do this, you get blessed, you do this. You, do, you sin and you'll be cursed and you'll be cut off from the land. So, so get back to it. Get back to doing justice. Uh, God cares about society. He cares about justice and righteousness. Justice being defined as moral, judicial actions or decisions in the legal system. And righteousness, uh, acting in accordance with God's law, acting in conformity with God's moral standard. That's righteousness. And so God is saying, and he he says this in the last few chapters, don't think that just because you do all these religious things, you offer sacrifices, you have uh, the different dietary laws, you observe the Sabbath, you have the temple, just because you have these things doesn't excuse a lack of holiness. It doesn't excuse you oppressing the poor, taking bribes, committing uh, adultery, doing all kinds of evil things to one another. Right living, right? Uh, Spiritual transformation is moral transformation. That is spirituality. And I think this has a lot of ramifications for today. So without further ado, let's read Amos chapter 7 and 8. And we're going to see a series of warning visions, visions that God gives through Amos to warn the nation of Israel uh, that they need to turn back from their sin. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. 
How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, says the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. 
and those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. So once again, God gives a series of visions. There's actually five visions, and each one escalates. The first two visions are of locust and fire. So locusts should remind you of the book of Joel, where the locusts are a sign of God's judgment. And then this fire is a sign of God's judgment as well. But in these first two, we see that Amos intercedes for the nation. He says, God, Jacob is so small. Have mercy on my nation. And God relents. It's, an, it's a remarkable uh, act of grace and, and, and Amos acting as an in, intermediary, as a, as, a, as a go-between between Israel and God. But then when it gets to the plumb line, the tone shifts and there is no intercession. And here you start to see that these visions are now going from, hey, these are the judgments that are coming to, uh, and, and you have a chance to avoid them to now these are inevitable. So get ready. So in the plumb line, uh, vision, people have debated on what this means. A, a plumb line is sort of like a measuring tool, but God has already decided to judge Israel. So it doesn't make sense that he would be measuring it out. So most people, or at least some commentators think that the word plumb line is actually a Hebrew play on the word lament. And so God is going to cause lament in the city uh, of Samaria in Israel. And then there's an image of a fruit basket, and there's more wordplay here as well. So when it talks about a fruit basket at summer's end, it's talking about fruit that's ripe. And there's a play on words. Just as the summer fruit is ripe at that time, uh, uh, the, the city of Samaria and, and really Israel itself is ripe for judgment. God's people are ripe for judgment. It's coming. And again, we mentioned this in previous episodes, the northern kingdom of Israel was judged in history. God brought in 722 BC, he brought the nation of Assyria in to invade, and they enslaved the northern kingdom of uh, Israel. And that, that was a major catastrophic event in that nation's history, and it was prophesied way before in Amos and the other prophets. So uh, most of the people who... Are, are hearing Amos are, are skeptical. In other words, their culture is one that externalizes their values of, of greed and oppression and all of these different things that he talks about, right? He, he says he buys the poor for silver or Israel buys the poor for silver. They, they uh, deal deceitfully with false balances. There's corruption at all levels, particularly in the higher classes. And this leads to a lack of desire to hear the, the warnings of Amos. Remember, Israel's problem is that they're prosperous and they become entitled. And they start to misquote Amos. So Amos talks about how God is going to take up the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is the king of uh, the northern kingdom at the time. And they, they misquote him because in reality... Uh, God said that he would only take the sword up against Jeroboam's house, not that Jeroboam would die by the sword. So they, they twist his words saying that Amos is saying that God's going to precisely kill the king in a certain way. And, and it, it just goes to show that people are purposely trying to misrepresent Amos and his ministry. So God's visions are gracious warnings to repent, but, be, but because they don't care about prophecy, because they're, they're, they don't like what Amos is saying, they're trying to discredit him and his ministry. 
So this leads us to the second thing we see here is that God's judgment is going to cut off Israel by sending a nation to invade. And one of the things that's going to happen is the word of God will cease to be spread in that nation, or rather there will be a famine, not a famine of uh, food or, or rain, but a famine of the word of God. Now, when you think about what the word of God is, the word of God is a, is a lamp unto my feet, as the psalmist says. The word of God is, is God graciously revealing the truth to us. And so when you remove the word, you're removing light and guidance and leaving people in the dark, leaving people off the path of blessing. So to be cut off from the word of God, to have a famine of the word is to be cut off from God himself, in a sense, his communication to his people. And what we see is that the result is people are going to uh, try to fill the void. They're going to try to go to Dan and Beersheba, which are locations of idolatry. And that's why Amos warns against that. He says, you're going to try to flock to these idols when, when God removes his guidance. We're going to seek guidance elsewhere, and that's going to lead to our destruction. And so we're kind of trapped here. At least Israel is trapped here because of their foolishness. And they're profaning holy things. They're living unholy lives. God explains how he's going to judge them in language of what's called decreation. He talks about the sun uh, being darkened. Uh, he, he talks about um, various aspects of creation disintegrating. And this is all symbolic for the disruption of Israel's order. So once Israel is cut off from the word, their society starts to fracture and break down. And God essentially gives them over to their corruption, right? Hope has been taken away and it's lost, not just for their present generation, but from future generations. And again, the temptation then is going to be, well, if if, if we can't hear from God, we're going to try to hear from all these other sources. And I think in our society today, we, we try to hear from spiritual gurus and, and celebrities, and, and we just want guidance. We've thrown God out of the equation, and, and so we gravitate towards these charismatic personalities, trying to find some semblance of wisdom on what our life means, on what, what a good life is, on, on how to live and operate in this world. But it goes to show that just possessing the word just having a religious community, that's not enough. You actually have to do it. You actually have to heed the word. You actually have to meditate, think, pray through it, and have it transform you. You can't just possess a Bible. The Bible has to, in a sense, possess you. And you look at Israel, and they've got everything. They've got the Torah, the, the Bible. They've got the Old Testament. They've got the sacrifices, the priests. They've had the, 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 the Sabbath, uh, all the, the trappings of uh, a society that should be a light to all the nations because of, of their true knowledge of God. And yet you see the opposite. They're corrupt. They're worshiping false gods. They're oppressing people within their nation. They are enslaving others, even though they themselves were once freed slaves. They have become entitled and taken for granted God's grace and God's word. And I hope that's not said of us. We have so much easy access to the word of God in every kind of translation, in so many different languages. We can access commentaries and sermons and, and we can you know, look things up and, and find information at a, at a rate that, that people in history couldn't have even fathomed. And yet, are we taking advantage of it? 
Are we grateful that we have the Bible translated for us, that we can read it for ourselves, that we can sing it and hear it read to us in church, that we can learn with other believers? A famine is when we realize just exactly how badly we needed the things we took for granted. And may it not be said of, you know, the church today that God would give a famine of the word. Do you value the word of God? Do you come to it? Is it sweeter than honey? Is it something that changes your heart and your mind and aligns it with the purposes of God? Because if not, well, that might be a widespread judgment on the church today.